alright. Got a couple, um, couple new people. Real quick, I'm going to introduce Capri, right? Okay, so Capri is here visiting uh, with her sister, who is going to Wheaton College. And Capri, where do you live most of the time? Um, I live in China. live in China. And what province and what area in China? Okay, and so for all of us who have no idea what that means, like north, south, east, west, where is near the ocean, not near the ocean? Towards the south, okay. And how long have you lived there? I've lived there for about nine years now. Okay. And so your parents are missionaries there? Yeah? All right. So she's visiting us here today, and you're in town for, well, you've been in town for a while, because you went to your brother's wedding, right? I've been in America for a while. In America. Right, that's what we mean. This is like, you know, in town, America. <laughs> for, for missionaries who live overseas, that's what in town means. <laughs> Yes, so you were been in America for a while. Yes. Where have you been in America? I've been all over the place. Mm-hmm. I've been to Texas, Georgia, Florida, here. Uh-huh. Yeah, good. And so you're sticking around for a little bit longer as your sister gets settled. And do you, when do you guys head out? Yeah, I don't think I know that yet. Don't know that yet. Yeah. So, well, it is very good to have you with us. Thank you for joining us. And then we also have Erin, but she disappeared. So what happened to Erin? She's not feeling great. Okay. So Erin was with us on Wednesday night. We'll have to introduce her another time. Um, But she's at Hubble with you? Yeah. Yeah? Seventh, eighth grade, I mean? Eighth grade. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Well, good to have you guys with us. Um, So we have been doing a series on the cross. Um, So we call them cross talks, and we've been talking about um, what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross. And... We're going to do a quick review, and then we're going to go in another direction kind of with it. Life Under the Cross is our title for today, okay? Um, so that's what we're going to do. These We have two more Sundays of Life uh, Under the Cross, this one and then September 3rd. We're going to have like a worship Sunday in between there. Um, and what we're going to look at in these next couple of Sundays is this, is we're going to look at how does the cross change our life, right? So we've looked at how the cross did something for us, and we want to ask, how does it change the way that we live? How should it change the way we live? In particular, how does it change with our relationship to God, our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with other people, and uh, the topic of violence and suffering as the fourth kind of thing we're going to talk about. So two of them this time, two of them next time. We're still using a book by John Stott called The Cross of Christ. Um, I just want you guys to know that I'm not smart enough to put all of this together myself. I'm using someone else's materials, so just so you know. Um, So let's take the beginning to review what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross. Um, And specifically, that was supposed to happen one at a time, but it didn't. Uh, Specifically, the top bullet point, how does this change our relationship with God? So these are the like big kind of theology words that we've been talking about. If you can remember one of them, raise your hand. relationship with God, what you see in the things that come underneath it, okay? 
okay? So this is just the idea that Jesus is our substitute, that he died in our place to take our punishment. What other stuff do we have? We talked about. Get it. I, I don't expect you to remember all. Propitiation. Propitiation, okay? Okay, so who can remember what propitiation means? No. No, okay, that's all right. At least we remember the word. Yes? It's like uh, taking place. It's like substitution. It is substitution, yeah. So it, when Jesus is our substitute, he becomes our propitiation. And if you remember, we kind of used this image. Jesus is on the cross. That helped. Do you remember what it means? Well, he absorbs the wrath of God. Okay, right. Okay, so Jesus is our propitiation, which means that he took God's wrath against our anger or against our sin. And how does that change our relationship with God then? This is Jesus. He gets wrath, but we kind of like we get love, we get grace, we get mercy, we get no no wrath. Okay, so what changes is that God is not angry at us anymore. That His anger towards our sin goes away. So that's propitiation. What's another word? Justification. Good justification. This is the, you guys remember we kind of this deal. Can't do it on the fly, but oh, we have four fingers down there. No wait. One, two, three, four, and I mean the thumb. That's what it is. There. That's it. Don't look at your own hands. They look like this. It's going the wrong way. Is it? Yeah. Another image that was this one. 
These are like chains. Slavery to sin, to death. So we're, we're slaves to sin and death, but Jesus does something. What does he do? Like what happens at the slave market? Yeah, you're bought back, and the kind of word is they're redeemed. Okay, so we've been redeemed. So this is good for us to know these words, right? Because these words show up in our worship, they show up in our songs. Pastors get up and they use these words. And it's, they aren't just like fancy Christian words. They mean something. There's something behind them, okay? So we've been redeemed, and because we're redeemed, it's not that we are free to do whatever we want. It's that we have been bought by God. Okay, so we belong to God now. Okay, we've been redeemed from slavery to sin, and now we belong to Him. And then the last one, um, let's see here, the last one was kind of like this. It was like a throne. This is God's throne, and then there was a door. The door had a big old lock on it. alienated from God, but Jesus dies for us, to bring us reconciliation. Okay, so we were far away from God, we did not have access to God, okay, and Jesus on the cross, what happens, he's alienated from God, right? It says that God turns his back on him. That Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So Jesus is forsaken and so that we are brought near, right? So God's throne room is facing us. The doors are wide open. This is open door. You can go in this way. Okay. So we have reconciled, been reconciled to God. This is family language. We're being brought back together just like the prodigal son was brought back together with his father, returned to his father, so we are being brought back together with God through Jesus' death. So this is all stuff that's been done for us. This stuff kind of ring a bell. If it doesn't, good to see it now for the first time maybe. Um, but this is the amazing reality of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, and it changes our relationship with God in a huge way. Okay? It changes that we don't have to be afraid of his wrath, that we can know he loves us and accepts us. That we don't have to follow our sinful desires because we know that he's bought us from them and we belong to him. That we don't have to believe those accusations in our hearts and heads that we're condemned and guilty. That we can know that in fact we are counted righteous even though we are sinners. And that where it used to be that God was hard to access for us. That he is, you know, we Maybe would pray and just be like, I don't know if God's even there. Does he ever hear me? And now we know we're reconciled to him. We have access to his throne room. We can come to him and pray and follow him. This is all of how our relationship with God has changed. And so what we want to talk about for the rest of our time is how does life under the cross change our relationship with ourselves? How does it change our relationship with me? And to do that, I'm going to have you guys start by doing a little exercise, okay? So with the person next to you, I want you to read Colossians 3, 1 through 17. And if you have a piece of paper, if you write in your Bible or whatever it is, I just want you to, as you read those verses, 
think about what is it telling me about what happens to us when we accept Jesus? Like what's happened in the past? Who are we once we accept Jesus? And what are we supposed to do after we accept Jesus? So these three questions, um, we'll look at that for about five, uh, eight minutes with a partner. And it'd be helpful if you could maybe jot down some ideas and we'll talk about them in just a minute. You need a Bible, we got some extra ones over here too. Does anybody need a Bible? Call me and do one.
All right, so let's talk about a couple of these things here. What did you guys discover happens to us when we accept Jesus for the first time? What happens? What's this passage telling us? Right? Okay, read what it says there for me. Uh, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and not circumcised, barbarians, get the enslaved, free, but Christ is all in Okay, awesome. Okay, so we become... Free in Christ. Good. Something else you guys found out? Becoming God's chosen people. Okay. Can you read the verse for me? Did you see that in? Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dear love, love his own compassion, kindness, humility, So I'm going to actually put that in this category, okay? Because it's who we are, okay? So that verse actually has a couple things. It says we're God's chosen people, but then it goes on to say that we are holy and we are dearly loved, right? Holy and dearly loved. Good. Anything else? Yeah, Caleb. Okay. Read for me the verse you're looking at. Um, do not let one another seem to be put off the old song, which is yeah, so we've got this language of you have done this, okay? So Paul's talking to a church, he's talking to a bunch of Christians. And so he's saying what happened in the past was that your old self was put off. In other words, it's taken off, okay? And that there's something called this new self the new man that was put on, right? So he wants them to say this is who you are. This is, this is what's happened to you in the past. The old self was put off. The new self was put on. Because of that, you're God's chosen people. You're holy. You're dearly loved. Now what are we supposed to do? our lives. What are we supposed to do? I mean, that's the majority of the passage is answering that question. So what's some of the stuff we're supposed to do? Says, 
Yeah? Now, if you go back a little bit, Katie, to the very, very beginning of that passage or paragraph, is it start on verse 12, I'm assuming? Yeah. Okay. So actually, that is the middle part of it or the end of it, but there's actually even more to it. It starts in verse 12 where it says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and it goes on in this list of things you're supposed to do, right? So what I think it's saying is, your old self was put off, your new self has been put on, and it's telling you now, put on the characteristics of the new self. Right? Is that, isn't that kind of what he's saying? Put on, then, all these things that go with being the new self. And look back at verse 5, then. 3 verse 5. What does it say in verse 5, someone? Just go ahead and read it, verse 5. Okay, so put to death, therefore, all these things. Okay? That sounds a whole lot like the old self, doesn't it? That sounds like the old me, the sinful me, the one that didn't follow Jesus. So, put to death the characteristics of the old self. Okay, so I think this gives us kind of a a good picture, uh, and it's just... We're plowing the way here to answer the question, how does it change our view of ourselves? But it says, when we're Christians, when we become Christians, we become free, our old self is put off. Like, this is something that has happened to you if you follow Christ, and a new self has been put onto you. So you are not the old self anymore, you are the new self. In the sense when God looks at you, he doesn't see your old ways, he sees your new self. You are now a member of God's chosen people. You are now holy. That should be kind of interesting for you to think about, right? Because are you holy? Do you do holy stuff all the time? Are you perfectly holy? No, you're not, right? But you are holy because God has made you holy. Actually, God counts Jesus' holiness as your holiness, and you are dearly loved. And so now what you're supposed to do is put to death the characteristics of the old self, and put on the characteristics of the new self. The way that I like to say it is like this. What Paul is saying is, what you need to do now is become who you are. Okay, because this is who you are. You're the new self. God has made you the new self. So start acting like it. And start getting your actions and your desires in line with who you are. It's kind of like you guys have maybe heard fairy tale stories of someone who, you know, an orphan in a far off land who was ra- raised in rags and poverty only to discover that he's really the heir of the king of some country and he's the prince and he's going to be the king, the next king. And so they go and they take him and they bring him back to the country and essentially he lives, you know, has a hard time with living in royalty because he's never experienced it before and he's only known himself as a poor peasant. And yet, in reality, he is royalty, right? It's in his blood. He's going to be the next king. And so, you know, all the court people are trying to help him to become who he is. 
Learn to be the king that you really, really are. And so that's what we are as Christians. We're called to learn to live out the life that we already have been given as the new self. Does that make sense? Okay, so how does this change the way that we should see ourselves as we live under the cross? That's what we want to talk about here. Okay? Um, It changes us in two key ways. It changes us because it helps us to affirm ourselves, and it changes because it helps us to deny ourselves. Okay, so the cross gives us reason to affirm ourselves. It gives us reasons, ways to encourage ourselves, to speak positively to ourselves, to see ourselves even more positively than maybe we ever have. Okay, so when you look at the cross, what you are looking at is a picture of how much God loves you. That God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you, that he has loved you in such a way to make you his own. He's come up with this cosmic rescue plan for all of humanity. And when you hear all of humanity, you should hear me. God came up with a cosmic rescue plan that he orchestrated throughout all of history to predict and plan and tell them that there is going to be a savior who's going to come and die for your sins to rescue you. And he did that out of love for you. And because he's done it, you are accepted. You're acceptable that that he is not angry with you, that you're forgiven. You used to be far away from him, and now you can be near to him. The old stuff in you that was rebellious and hated God's ways, he has washed it away so that you can be new. You can be a new person, and you can live a new life. In fact, it says in 2 Corinthians that you are a new creation. It's as if the old creation is gone, the new creation has come. You are a new creation. Nothing can ever separate you from God. And we ought to use these truths that the cross teaches us about ourselves in order to affirm ourselves and encourage ourselves and to become who we really are. And we're going to talk about that a little more practically in just a minute. But the cross also teaches us that we need to deny ourselves. Okay, so all of life isn't just like butterflies and rainbows and happy feelings and like God, Jesus sent, you know, God sent Jesus to die for your sins so that you would know that no matter what you do, you can do whatever you want and you are perfectly loved. Actually, no, there is something to this become who you are. It's not just doing whatever you want because we don't want the characteristics of the new self all the time, do we? Sometimes we are really tempted with the characteristics of the old self and it just lingers and we want to stick with those. So the cross also teaches us that we need to deny ourselves. Actually, Jesus is primary call to us when he called us to be his disciples was if anyone would come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me in fact the the path of being a disciple of jesus is one of self-denial it's one of saying to all these competing desires within you these desires of the old self no i can't go there anymore i don't want you anymore i can't entertain that anymore that's not how i should live my life And why not? Well, if you're going to become who you are, and you are this new self, you can't keep doing the old stuff. You can't return to sin. You can't keep going back to it and living in it. 
And so we should hear when Colossians says, you have put off the old self and put on the new self, that in order to live that out, you have to put to death the old self and you have to put on the new self. You have to become who you are. So let's talk real life examples, okay? This is all kind of big theoretical. The question we're asking is, how does life under the cross change our relationship with ourself? How does life as a Christian under the cross change a relationship with myself? It changes it by self-affirming. We can be self-affirming and we can be self-denying. So let's take this example. What are you supposed to do when you have, let's call them self-deprecating thoughts? That just means when you don't think nice things about yourself. When you have thoughts that come into your mind, such as, no one loves me. No one could ever accept me. I'm not worth anything. I should just kill myself. God could never forgive me for what I've done. When you have those thoughts, what's the appropriate response? Well, the cross shows us that if we're going to live under the cross, the appropriate response is with self affirmation. It's to say, oh, no one loves me? That's not true. Just because I think it or feel it doesn't make it true. God loves me. For God so loved the world that he gave his son to die in my place. Now, I, perhaps, let me just speak to this, perhaps you have this inner critic speaking right now that says, God loves me. Sunday school answer. I don't know if any of you feel that way. I can feel that way at times. Like, like is that what I'm really going to tell the guy on the bus, you know, when I'm telling him the gospel that, well, God loves you? Sunday school answer. Right? No, way more than that. Like, the cross is a man who came from heaven. God himself came from heaven to die in your place. Are we really going to scoff at the idea that God loves you? No, this is the greatest love that's ever been displayed in all of humanity. Okay, so yes, that is a lie. God loves you, and he loved you to the grave. He loved you through suffering and pain, and he loved you through every form of persecution, and he died in your place. Yes, God loves you. That is a lie. No one could accept me. That's not true. God has accepted you in the midst of knowing everything there is to know about you. He knows how messed up you are and he still accepts you because he's taken everything unacceptable about you and he's put it on Jesus and he's put Jesus' acceptableness from living a perfect life and he's put it on you and he has accepted you. I'm not worth anything. Not true. If you weren't worth anything, would God have orchestrated the greatest rescue plan in all of history in order to send his son to come and die in your place? I don't think so. I should just kill myself. Not true. If God hasn't killed you already, he's probably got a plan for you. He does have a plan for you. God could never forgive me for what I've done. Not true. That is never true. He has forgiven us on the cross. He will forgive us for everything that we do. So we need to recognize that these thoughts are coming from 
Satan. They're coming from the flesh. They're coming from the world. They are not coming from God. And we need to do what Jesus says when he says, take every thought captive and make it submissive to Christ. I think Paul said that, but Jesus speaking through Paul. Um, Take every thought captive. Okay, so just because you think it doesn't make it true. Take that thought captive and say, no, that's not true. Let's think of another example. How about sin? When we're tempted to sin, when we're tempted to give in to our flesh, when we're tempted to follow everything that the world tells us to follow, the cross gives us reason to deny ourselves. Okay, now you have to understand there's a time to affirm and there's a time to deny. This is not the time to say, well, Jesus died for me so that I can do whatever I want. Because that's not true. It's not time to say, well, I really deserve to have sex with this person because I love them. That's not the time to affirm. It's time to deny. So the cross gives us reasons to fight these temptations and um, desires with self-denial. So just as Jesus denied every sinful desire, we can also follow his example and deny these sinful desires because it's not our will that we're now trying to live out. We're not trying to become who we want to be. We're trying to become who God has made us to be. So God has made us to be holy. So we need to start living that way. So we need to deny our flesh, okay? And say, I'm not my own. I don't belong to myself. When it says that we've been uh, redeemed out of slavery to sin, we're not redeemed to us. We're not redeemed to do whatever I want. We're redeemed to God. We're his slaves to do what he wants. Okay, so... It changes our relationship with ourselves because it gives us the power to affirm ourselves and it gives us the power to deny ourselves. What makes this so incredibly difficult to do is that we have to put what we know over what we feel. Okay, so let's talk about that for a few minutes. Feelings are incredibly powerful. The longer I live my life, the more that that truth is affirmed. Feelings are incredibly powerful. If you feel unloved, if you feel inadequate, if you, feel ha- if you have feelings of self-loathing, I hate myself. I hate the way I look. I hate who I am. Those feelings are incredibly powerful. Do you agree with that? If you've felt those, okay. So are the feelings of being drawn to sin. The feeling of lust, the desire to lust, is incredibly powerful. The feeling to be envious of what other people have is incredibly powerful. The feelings of anger can well up with inside you like a monster that is uncontrolled. The feelings to indulge the flesh, just to do what feels good and not think about what the Bible has to say about it or to just do what's fun or go along with the group is an incredibly powerful feeling. And this is compounded by the fact that the world tells us that we shouldn't deny our feelings. Right? Isn't that what the world tells us? This is why we are where we are with the sexuality debate. Because we're being told, don't deny who you are on the inside. Be who you want to be. If you feel that it's right, well, doggone it, it is right for you. That's what the world tells us. 
And it sounds really good in song lyrics, but when you go down that road, when you go down that road of just doing whatever you feel is right, it's a disaster. That's what the Bible's trying to tell us, trying to teach us that. So as a Christian, much of the Christian life, in order to change our relationship with ourselves, much of the Christian life is learning how to put what we know above what we feel. Okay? I know I've been talking for a while here, guys, but if you were to listen to anything, this is huge. I mean, this is the fight of the this is the fight of faith. When we talk about fighting for your faith, it's putting what you know in scripture to be true over what you feel. And if you felt the power of those temptations and of those thoughts, well, all I can say is you should realize how much you need to know this if you're really going to win that fight. Because if you don't know who you are and what God's done for you, if you aren't continually reinforcing it, I mean, if we, you want to talk about why should I read my Bible every day? Why should I pray every day? Isn't that kind of just like a religious thing that you just have to do to be a good Christian? No. There's a real fight going on for your heart. There's a real fight going on for your mind. And a fight is inside. And if you aren't equipping yourself to fight against your feelings and your thoughts, you don't have much chance of success. This is one of the huge reasons why you need to be in the Word every morning. Why you need to be praying every morning. It's not to be a good Christian. It's not to be religious. It's to win the fight. I just taught at my grandmother's funeral, right? And I got to share the word from the grandmother's funeral. He talked about Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And it's all about endurance. And it's just saying, if you make it to the end, here's what you get. Your endurance is what guarantees you getting into heaven. You can't say, well, I prayed a prayer when I was five, and no, I don't really read my Bible or pray very much anymore. You gotta fight for your faith or you're not gonna endure, okay? So you gotta endure. So, as a conclusion, the cross doesn't just change your status. The cross doesn't just make you go from one camp of saved, unsaved to saved people. The cross doesn't just change your title where you would, used to be a non-Christian, non-believer, non-Christian. Now you're a Christian. Um, it doesn't just change your future destination. I was going to go to hell. Now I'm going to go to heaven. It's actually meant to change you throughout the course of your life. Okay? It affirms you as beloved and holy and accepted and chosen by God. It should help you to deny your flesh and your old way of life. The cross, living under the cross ought to help you to become who you already are in Christ. Holy, sinless, perfect. Now, will we ever get there? No. Not until the day when we see Jesus face to face. But your life is going to be a life of greater joy if you let yourself live it, becoming who you are in Christ and not resisting that. So on the cross, Jesus won the battle for your soul. He won the battle to save you and to make you holy. The question I want you to ask yourself this week is, am I living like it? Am I living under the cross? I might claim the cross and say, I'm saved by the cross, but are you living under the cross? Are you working to get your life in line with who you already are in Jesus? So these are the questions I want you to ponder as you fight for your holiness and as you fight for your faith.
And let's pray in that direction. Heavenly Father, um, I pray for these students, that they would fight for their faith. I pray that you would help them by calling to mind scriptures and uh, speaking into their doubts and into their accusations and into their temptations, thoughts and words that affirm them and thoughts and words that teach them to deny uh, their flesh. Help them to become who they are in Christ. And for those who are still yet to accept you, Lord Jesus, as their Lord and Savior, I pray that they would make that decision today, and if not today, soon, because time is short and we never know how long we have before we are uh, taken from this world. So I ask that they would begin experiencing the joy of following, following you with their whole heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks, guys.